0: if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter in chapter number 3. 1 Peter in chapter number 3. We are continuing with our series of the book of 1 Peter, studying this wonderful book with the emphasis of strengthening the brethren with the idea that Jesus Christ had been working with the Peter, and he made a prediction to him that when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. And this, the book of 1 Peter and 2 Peter, are the direct answer to that prayer, that prediction by Jesus Christ, and that the book of 1 Peter is meant and designed to strengthen the brethren, to strengthen us in our faith, to strengthen us in our walk with the Lord, to strengthen even our homes, as we'll see today in the book of 1 Peter in chapter number 3. The book of 1 Peter in chapter number 3. As we've been continuing on, we've been seeing that, uh, as we talked about last time, dealing with the idea of the wives' responsibility, and now as we look... uh, at the home, we see more about the husband's responsibility. If you don't mind, look with me if you don't mind, in the book of 1 Peter chapter number 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, and notice with me in verse number 7. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. And with this, we're going to see a connection between home and heaven. And that we're going to see that we're supposed to be strong in our prayers, that we understand our home life does affect. Now, most people live their lives as if their home life doesn't affect anything for eternity. It doesn't affect anything for their house, for their home. The things done in that house and home don't affect heaven at all. But in fact, this passage tells us it does. It does. In 1 Peter chapter number 3 and verse number 7, the very first thing that we see here is the idea of Likewise. Likewise. That word likewise actually refers back to chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, Likewise, ye wives. So here we have the husbands likewise, and the wives likewise, and we can see why. What are they being compared to? Well, once again, it goes back to 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2. Notice with me, if you don't mind, as it's dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. For hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye shall follow after his steps. Who did no sin, neither was their guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Who, his own self, bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but now turned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls, likewise. So notice as we're looking at this likewise, the likewise is compared to chapter 3 verse 1 to the wives. Both of them are jumping to Jesus Christ who in verse 21 was Jesus Christ who left us as an example. That we could see both the relationship of the husband and the relationship of the wife are supposed to be comparable to the example that Jesus Christ gave us. By the way, what was that example? Well, just as a quick review, it's it says that he gave us, he was an example that we should follow after, verse 22, who did no sin, neither was there guile found in his mouth. The word guile, again, carries the idea, it's part of the lying, um, the lying uh, sins. The word guile carries the idea that to tell the story in such a way where you leave out a detail or emphasize something to make you look better or someone else look worse. And so it carries the idea that Jesus gave us the example that he, even when people were yelling at him, when people were threatening him, when they were trying to kill him, he still did not exaggerate, he did not twist the truth to fit his own, um, his own being. Now as we're just introducing this, how many marriages would be better off if people didn't tell the story in such a way to make them look better or someone else look worse? ever tried to get in an argument with a spouse or a loved one and you recount something they did, but you kind of leave out something or emphasize something. Well again, Jesus is our example of what we should be and what we should be like. Again, 1 Peter chapter number 2, talking about Jesus Christ, verse 23, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again, and when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Again, Jesus Christ was our example, and we're seeing it likewise the husbands and likewise the wives, who when they reviled. Here it carries the idea that when Jesus Christ, when they were making fun of him, when they were at him. When they were provoking him, he didn't respond. Again, how many arguments would cease inside of a marriage if two people decided not to argue? You know, the idea that hurting people hurt people. That when someone's hurting, you usually lash it up on the person that's closest to you. You take it out on them. Well, again, Jesus was our example. He did not do that. How many marriages could have some healing done if every time one of them were hurt, they didn't try to Hurt the other person next to them. Again, Jesus is our example. This is all introduction. And so it says, likewise ye wives and likewise ye husbands, we're supposed to follow after the example of Jesus Christ. And so, if you don't mind, let's look specifically in the book of 1 Peter, chapter number three and verse number seven, and let's see this connection between home and heaven. Let's see this connection of the responsibility the husbands are supposed to have. Last week we looked at the wives and the responsibility they have. But we see that the responsibilities of the husband. In fact, that's what we want to look at first. The responsibilities of the husband. Notice if you don't mind as it starts off in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Likewise ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge. Dwell with them according to knowledge. So we've already seen that we are supposed to, as the husbands, follow after the example of Jesus Christ. That he gave us an example of what to do with his mouth and how he responded, how he dealt with people. But the Bible goes on, likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. We find that in 1 Peter chapter number 3, that the husbands bear the responsibility of dwelling with their husbands according to knowledge. What does this mean? That the husband should learn about his wife. Because believe it or not, there's going to be a test later. You should find out about them. Find out what she likes. Find out what she doesn't like. Get that communication to the place where he finds out. What is your favorite flower? What is her favorite color? What type of things does she like to do? What does she enjoy? You know. It's carrying the idea that you need to study your wife, put something up. Don't take it for granted of who she is. Don't take it for granted that she just likes everything you do. We know that the goal is to become one flesh, but she is her own person. Just because you like lasagna doesn't mean she does. Just because you like watching TV doesn't necessarily mean she does. To be able to learn and to study the wife. That's part of the responsibility of the husband to find out about these things. Again, husbands remember stupid things like baseball scores and stats and Super Bowl victories and whatnot. But we're also supposed to remember stuff like her birthday, her anniversary, how long you've been married. I can't, it's always funny to watch the husband get a deer in a head look, when said, all right, how long you been married? And the wife's quiet, just looking to see if he's going to know. And he starts trying to math in his head and start dotting the I and crossing the T in the math problem. And then it just doesn't work. Where's Serena? Have you ever dotted the I and crossed the T in a math problem? Okay, good. And so he looks and goes, Um, good. All right, husbands now are starting to calculate and they're trying to move fingers. So just in case I ask them here in a bit. But you should know things like that. But you should know more than just her birthday stuff. What is her favorite color? What is her favorite flower? What is meaningful to her? What does she like to do? If she had time to herself, and by the way, you should give her time to herself. What does she like to do in that quiet time? What do you, what does she prefer to do? What, what does she need to do? Now, it's amazing that when we start working with um, families, that you'll give an example. Let's take a, a couple who's in the ministry. They're in Bible college or whatever. They're trying to study. Maybe they're going to be a pastor one day. And the wife is in... <laughs> has a couple of newborn kids at home and the man's trying to study and he's trying to work and trying to whatever else. And one of the things I'll ask him is, how's your wife's Bible reading? Well, that's something you should know. How is her Bible reading? Do you talk to her about these things? Do you search it? Do you guard it? You know, believe it or not, gentlemen, let me tell you something. If your wife is at home taking care of the kids... That doesn't mean she's not doing anything. Amen. She's busy. And they don't keep the same schedule. And so part of the advice that I take some of these young men aside is that, listen, you have to guard your wife's prayer time. You have to guard your wife's Bible reading time. Because if you don't, she's not going to get it in. But that's part of knowing your wife. Knowing how does she read her Bible? When does she do? does she like? You know, one of the things I love about my wife, she loves to read. That's good. So what's an easy way to keep her happy? Get her another book. Here you go. Good. You know, find out what is she. But you understand, men, you got homework to do. You have to study your wife to dwell with her according to knowledge. And as I said, there's usually a test later on several times. And you want to be able to pass that test, to be able to learn her, to find out what she likes, to find out what she does not like, to find out what you could do differently to help her. Be why? Well, notice as it goes on, dwell with them according to knowledge. Notice this: giving honor to the wife. This idea of honor is to give the idea of treat her with respect, to treat them with uh, as a special treasure. Now, Let me pause here. In the ancient world during this time that was written in the Roman um, uh, culture, not the Christian culture or the Roman culture, that the Roman culture, it was very much not a fair idea. That if a wife was found cheating on her husband, she could be put to death. But if a man was found uh, cheating on her wife, the wife wasn't allowed to say anything about it. You say, that's not fair, that's not right. Exactly. That's how the culture was. And so now, as the Bible is now giving what God says... He says that the husband and wife are supposed to look out for one another. They're supposed to be equal. That there's not an idea of value. It's not the idea that the husband is more valuable than the wife. But instead, they're supposed to dwell together. And they're supposed to be equal. And they're supposed to be partners. And they're supposed to work together. Now, for the ancient world who was raised in a different culture, this was a big change. And this was a big mindset change. That they were supposed to dwell together. That they both had responsibilities. That the husband was supposed to lift up his wife. Now may I also pause and also say. Wherever biblical Christianity. We know there's other forms of Christianity. But wherever biblical Christianity is at. It is always exalted the high place of a woman. Always. It's people who go outside of the Bible and twist things that devalue that idea. It's not the idea that the woman is supposed to be a slave at home. But they are supposed to be one flesh moving forward together. And that the husband has the responsibility of honoring his wife. To lift her up. To help her succeed. You know. Again, when biblical Christianity gets set aside and we devolve back to our natures, oftentimes and even in our societies have gotten to the place where it's all about the man. The man has to succeed. The man has to whatever else. By the way, we should be trying to better ourselves. But we can't leave the wife behind. We need to bring her along. What can I do to help you succeed? What can I do to help you with what you believe God has for you in your life? What can I equip you with? What can I help you with? That's just part of the responsibility of the husbands to honor their wives. How can I build them up? How can I help them succeed? How can I help them follow after the Lord? How can I help them Be the person that God intended them to be. This is part of that responsibility. So we could see the responsibilities of the husband. Which brings us to a second part inside of this verse. The riches of the Christian life. The riches of the Christian life. Notice with me in verse number seven. Likewise ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Notice this. As being heirs together together of the grace of life. Notice that word heir. We are heirs together. So many people live in spiritual poverty when God wants them to have spiritual riches. Husband and wives should enjoy spiritual things together. They should be speaking to each other about the things of the Bible. Now with this we know that God has designed a man and a woman to become one flesh. Now, we know that we, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, are made up of three parts. Human beings are made up of three parts. We're made up of spirit. We're made up of soul. We're made up of body. In our spirit, that's where the Holy Spirit lives when we get saved. The Bible calls that place the candle of the Lord. Now, that place is there whether the spirit's there or not. We all have a place for the spirit to dwell. Just when we get saved, the candle gets lit. The Bible calls it the candle of the Lord. The Bible talks, or for the idea of the soul, in our soul we have will, intellect, and emotion. Will, intellect, and emotion. With our will, we decide. With our emotion, we feel. And with our intellect, we think. And then with our body, we have our five senses. It's how we interact with the world taste, touch, smell, hearing, sight, those five senses. With our body, we are world conscience. With our soul, we are self conscience. And with our spirit, we are God conscience. And when two people are to become one flesh, it has to be in all three parts spirit, soul, and body. Most of the world just concentrates on the physical, that we're supposed to be together physically. We're supposed to just be in the same proximity. That's great. But we are also supposed to become one together in spirit and in soul. Remember, our spirit is where we're God conscience. That if we're going to become one together, we should also have God as our goal. People have explained it like this, that a marriage is three people, not two. You have a husband and a wife and God. And as the husband and wife get closer to God, by nature, they get closer to each other. So many times they try to go horizontally and they find that it doesn't work. But when they both have the same goal of God, they get closer and closer to each other by default because God is their goal, not each other's their goal. Inside of a marriage, if we're going to be a one flesh, you have to remember that God is the one that satisfies. I cannot meet all my wife's needs. That's a confession. I can't meet all my wife's needs. In fact, you talk to her, she'll tell you that. He doesn't meet all my needs. By the way, she doesn't meet all my needs. God is the one that satisfies it all. As God is our goal, he brings us closer together. With our soul, we, are, we have intellect and emotion and decision. And that we should work to become one flesh in our decision making. We should become one flesh in what we think about. By the way, how does that work? We have to talk with each other about what you're thinking. And it should become one flesh in our emotions. When she is hurting or when something is bothering her, I should at least be aware that something's going on at the very least. But I should be able to empathize with her. And that we should be able to feel together. If she's broken hearted over her parent, I should be able to bear that burden with her emotionally. Instead of stupid emotions, you just always cry all the time. That's a good way not to be together. I have to be sensitive. That's, again, it goes back to our homework. Dwell with your wife according to knowledge. And that we have to take that responsibility to become one flesh. Now, a different passage talks about this. But it, it deals with the idea that the husband, I'll just give you the principle, that we're supposed to apologize first. I know, guys, you don't want to do that. But you're supposed to apologize first. Why? It's our responsibility To keep that family restored. To keep that thing restored. And so even if you don't think it's your fault. You need not to have the the breakdown. Now again let me give you an illustration. We laugh at stuff like this. My wife and I when we were newly married. We went over to a friend's house. And we played an all night game of Uno. And when we play Uno we call it dirty Uno. Because if I put a draw four. The next person can put a draw four. And the other person has to draw eight. And we save it and it goes around and around. And our games last for hours. And we play in one game for so long that no one's sitting anymore. We're tired of sitting. We're all standing and we're going. And the the new the other couple's egging us on. Oh, you can't let him win. You can't let her win. And whatnot. And they were putting this uh, friction in there. Now we're getting aggravated each other. Oh, I'm going to win. And they're trying to press it on. Well, you know, on the way home, we could have just kept that thing going, like, and get the going. But as a man, it's my responsibility to apologize first, to make peace in the home, to bring it together, to dwell with her according to knowledge that we're supposed to be heirs together and to work with it. Now, I know guys don't like to hear that. She never apologizes first, not her job. It's your job. Be the man. So you could dwell with them according to knowledge. Now where is this all going? Well I'm glad you asked. Because I want to show you now the results that certain to follow. Notice with me in verse number 7. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7. Likewise ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge. Giving honor to the wife even or as unto the weaker vessel. As being heirs together of the grace of life. Why? That your prayers be not hindered. Here we have the connection between our homes and heaven. You understand that if we are not right with our wives, we are not right with God. That's a big deal. This is why that principle that I'm supposed to apologize first, it goes into play. I'm supposed to do what it takes to make sure that the friction in our house is gone. What can I do to help her? Why? Why? So that my prayers are not hindered. How does this work out? Well we understand that there is a matter of function. That you have Christ as the head of the church. And then the church. God is the head of Christ. It's not a matter of of value. It's a matter of function. And that as the head of the house. That I'm supposed to have things right. Just like I'm supposed to have things right between God and I. And that I have that responsibility to reach out, to do what it takes, so things can be right. By the way, God is always previous. What do I mean by that? Before you get saved, God already did the work. He already had everything said, and then he offered it to you. As the husband, my job is to represent that and do what it takes to be right with her. Now, she's right with me. That's her business. But I need to do everything to do to be as right with her as possible. To reach out, to have that forgiveness, to have the things open so we can be right. Why? So my prayers be not hindered. If I'm not right with God, or right with my wife, how can I expect my prayers to be answered? How? Because I'm not right with God. I have the responsibility to work with things. Sometimes we wonder, how come prayers aren't being answered? And we look at homes that homes are so out of order and so out of sorts. And to get to the place where we've all heard stories and maybe met the people where you have one, the husband living on this side of the house and the lady living on the other side of the house. And the kids are caught in the crossfire because they don't talk to each other anymore. They have to use the kids as intermediaries. They have to talk between That's a home that's not functioning anymore. And things aren't right. We understand that there is a responsibility that a husband has to dwell with their wives, to honor their wives, to dwell with them in knowledge, to work with them so that way there is a unity inside of the home. Why? Because the best prayer partner I have is my wife. The best purse friend that I have in the ministry is my wife. The best friend I have in my walk with the is my wife. And that I need to guard that and harness that and work together with that because that's what God has given to me. Let me see if I could find the passage I'm looking for. That's what I get for going off memory. Book of Proverbs somewhere. Preacher, I'm going to give you a verse. You tell me where it's at. He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing you like, okay, good. It's in there somewhere. Let's find it. Good. Max, you got your finder on me? Thank you, Zeb. Uh, 22. But I want you to turn with me to Proverbs 18. And I want to look at the verse before that. And I want to tie these together. Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18. Again, I'm trying to show this connection between house and home. Proverbs 18. So Proverbs is in the middle part of your Bible. Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18, and I want, let's start off in verse number 22, 21. Proverbs eighteen twenty one, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. All right? So we start off with the principle here. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our marriages fall apart or get closer together based off the power of the tongue. With my tongue, I could hurt my wife badly. And with my tongue, I can lift her up greatly. Uh, Our tongue has great power. And we have to use it wisely. Realize that the things that we say do matter. That old uh, little kid's adage that uh, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That's a lie. Words do hurt. And they can do lasting damage. And that I have lots of power in my tongue, and I have to be conscious how I use it. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Verse 22, whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Now we understand these are two different proverbs, but they're together, and they do have a relationship as we've seen, that whosoever findeth a good thing Uh, findeth a wife, findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. I'm so thankful because this is God's gift to me. He gave me a wife. And so I need to treat her as if this was a thing God had given me and that I have a responsibility of taking care of what God has given me to do because he's given me favor. I now have favor of the Lord because he's given me a wife. With it, I understand that death and life are in the power of the tongue. I need to take care of the gift that God's given to me. So again, we're showing a connection between the house and heaven, the home in heaven. That how things work, and as the Bible show, and there's a responsibility a husband has, there's a responsibility the wife has. But as we're hitting the husbands today, there is a responsibility I have because God has given to her. And because she's a resource, because she's a tool, because this is the favor I have. And I need to treat her and honor her and take care of her and know her. So that way I can get everything that God has given to me the way that I should. Rather than if I ignore the favor, the gift that God's given to me, then it's going to affect my fellowship that I have with God.